Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Eric Clark from Mega Brands. This is Thursday, December 8th. Uh, it's about 1230 Pacific time before some pretty good earnings from Costco and RH and Lulu come out after the bell. Um, looking forward to a little repeat guest here, Paul Ciro from Cedar Grove Capital. Did I say that right, Paul? Ciro? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's how everybody uses it that way, yeah. Um, you know, last time we were on the call, I think it was uh, about October, uh, July 28th, and yep. uh, we talked about cannabis a little bit. We talked about a couple of other areas within the consumer space, so you know, I don't know, maybe a month ago, you talked about, uh, you introduced, you know, your first investment on the private side. And as if, if anybody's been listening to me at all, they know I have, uh, I have a love affair with certain privates, which is giving me lots of angst this year, but I'm a long-term believer. And um, so I, I would love to maybe get into the privates part, but also, you know, let's, as it's the end of the year, let's talk about your views. I mean, I, I think I know from following you pretty closely, you're not incredibly bullish um, going into the end of the year. You might be bullish on certain things, but generally speaking, you might not be incredibly bullish, particularly on the consumer. So just uh, as a reminder, Cedar Grove Capital, you guys run a long, short uh, fund, tech, cannabis, consumer. I'm not sure if it's completely only focused on that. So you can let us know a little bit about kind of if it's an open mandate or if you're really focused on one thing. And also remind people, it's at Paul Cero on C-E-R-R-O on Twitter. And uh, your website is cedargrovecapital.com. And you also have a pretty good sub stack that I enjoy uh, listening to. So welcome back, buddy. Yeah, no, glad to be here. Um, no, because like, we have we have two now just because it's a private and public side. So we have the private side, which is Cedar Grove Capital Holdings. Um, so it's cedargrovech.com. And that's like encompassing everything. And then we have um, Cedar Grove Capital Management, which is a fund, which is cedargrovecm.com. 
Um, but yeah, no, so we were long, we were long short. We still are. Um, except that since, since, um, we started dabbling into like M&A ARB, especially with the Twitter deal, like, cause that was just, in our opinion, easy money. Um, you know, we've, we've put a little bit more attention to that as well. Um, and then, uh, we have started dabbling into event driven. So like if there's, we expect any kind of turnarounds or big news to kind of affect the stock, AKA even today with ARB, with a, uh, Activision and Microsoft, um, so, um, there's that, uh, but yeah, no, I know we spoke on July. I know we talked a bit about Petco. We talked about cannabis, which if anybody was listening in, I mean, it's had a wild ride the last month, um, both up and down. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bullish. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> bullish on the I, um, now are I'm you not be... bullish? Are you not bullish in general because of a deteriorating macro or are you not bullish specifically on consumers because, you know, savings has come dramatically down, credit card use has come up, and and we're extrapolating some of those things into the future, just to be clear? Yeah, and kind of add on a point to that, it's, so I got it wrong the first half of the year. And that's, and that's when a lot of retailers were still spending a good amount of, or sorry, a lot of consumers were still spending a lot of money at these retailers, right? It's just that we got dinged, and I know you and I have spoken about it because we've become collateral damage of restoration hardware, but <laughs> the multiple just got completely blown out. Um, and the, the floor just fell underneath, even even though the fundamentals were still strong at the time, right? Um, but, you know, ever since that reality check, you know, we've taken the time to really dive in and be super careful with like how we're perceiving things since this market is entirely irrational and it's a combination of a few things one is like th there's a lot of talk going on like yeah the consumer is fine they have a healthy balance sheet which i know you and i have spoken about as well you know they have they have the cash reserves to weather a recession i am in agreement with that um i think this <clears throat> this setup is not you know, the setup is not 08 when like everybody was borrowing everything on margin. Um, uh, they do have healthy cash balances, but what we were concerned about and which we put into our research that we posted in the first week of September, actually right after Labor Day, was like, hey, some things have started popping up that we're actually kind of not okay with. And it's really puts put us into a, into a corner of unease. Um, and that was at the rate things were changing. Um, and not for the good, right? So this was this was a few, I guess, macro things such as um, personal savings rate continued to decline at, a, at an alarming rate. Um, credit card credit card balances were climbing at an alarming rate. They were still not above pre-COVID levels, but the rate of change, like in, at the speed that it was going, was was kind of alarming to us. Um, and uh, also, you had some kind of ancillary uh, factors as well, like. We had was it 60, 90 day, 60 day card delinquencies were going up to a record level. You know, the, the, now the personal savings rate is at the lowest level since 2005. And we all know what ended up happening, you know, a few years later. Right. Um, so I think that the consumer is strong, but I think there's really going to be a wake up call that will just, I don't want to say like put the brakes on everything, but if you've ever driven a car and you need to decelerate fast because of that reality check, you know, it, it's, it's going to be abrupt and it's going to be pretty painful. Yeah. Now, and I, I don't, maybe, you know, the answer to this question. I don't know when you look at the savings rate, 
are they pulling from the bank accounts you know because we we hear brian moynihan from uh from bank of america and, and jp morgan they always talk about consumers and all of a sudden they've made a negative pivot on that regard too i mean you know we all have so many different places you still don't earn anything in your bank accounts shame on every one of these banks but where does oh, yeah. that money I, go I, I mean what's a combination because it's like um, you have my generation, which was the great financial crisis generation. That's, you know, like we, we saw our parents, you know, go through things, you know, right. Like we saw, you know, like stuff happening. Um, and as <laughs> it's funny cause Brian, my old boss, um, yeah. So banking savings rates are paying what, like 10 basis points. Like it's a joke. Right. Um, but then nowadays it's interesting because I think consumers are a little bit more knowledgeable in what they can invest in. Right. And I think as what once was a very not sexy market, which was bonds, I think, hey, if you're kind of like older and I say older with like an asterisk because that's very relative. Right. You know, you're saying like, wait, can I keep it in cash and wait for a rainy day or can I just like take what it is and get, you know, a guaranteed four percent yield on treasuries? Right. Um, so I, and, or could I invest in the stock market and risk losing 20% more on it because I don't even know what's happening anymore. And so even like my friends, my friends, I don't know, they're not the greatest example, but you know, like they're still spending money, but I still hear from them saying like, I'm getting kind of scared. <laughs> um, but the thing is like, they'd rather have the cash than not have the cash. Um, so while they still might be dabbling into like their 401ks, as far as like, um, you know, making sure that money keeps going into them to dollar cost average over time their actual hard cash, you know, they're, they're keeping on the sidelines because they don't know how bad it's going to get. You know, they've talked about how their credit card bills are high. And I think reality is kind of checking in like, all right, maybe I should kind of like have a little more than I currently have because I'd rather not, not have the access to it um, and not be screwed over in case something happens. And, and the fed wants this, right? The fed wanted to just, Keep in mind, I hate the Fed. I can't stand the Fed. <laughs> no, I see your These clowns, every day I have to just, you know, dig in the knife just a little bit. But, you know, these clowns created 13 years of easy money and zero interest rates. And 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 that you know, the longer that kind of thing happens, the more behavior gets cemented. And the more real, you, you start to think something abnormal is actually normal. And then you yep. build a life based on normal. And then all of a sudden the Fed decides they're going to take away normal because somehow they have religion because inflation's here and they help create that too. So, you know, it, it drives me crazy a little bit, but you know, it's it the savings thing, going back to that concept, because I, I do think it's important. It's always difficult to know how much to rely on that data because there's still- right. You know, if I look at money market funds, you were still talking five or six trillion in money market assets. So yep. there, there is money out there. And I think just, you know, all of us tend to look at a bunch of data to try to, you know, each piece of data is a, a puzzle piece. And that, you know, that allows us to form an opinion. If we mm -hmm. act on one particular data point, that usually can be dangerous. So, you know, so let's let's jump into consumer, and can, then I, I have some questions on cannabis and everything too. But from a twenty twenty two, from a twenty twenty three perspective, correct me if I'm wrong, but consensus it seems like the boat is very loaded in this view. 
things are going to get worse. The effects from the Fed tightening are going to start to show up in the economy, corporate earnings, corporate margins, consumer spending is going to slow because consumers are tapped out and the stock market is not currently valued for that eventuality and that possibility. Would you say, A, that sounds correct from a consensus view, and B, are you in that camp or are there any nuances to what, you know, how you guys think? Yeah, I think there's, <clears throat> I think there's a consensus that things will get bad next year. I just, our view was that while we think they will get bad, we don't, okay, we don't think it's going to be, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times on some, some uh, other guys' Twitter spaces, um, we think there will be a recession next year if we aren't already in one, but we do not think it's going to be one where, you know, you're, you're, we're talking, oh, wait, foreclosures everywhere, people are getting kicked out of their homes, you know, things are getting repossessed. Like, we, we, we don't think that's going to happen. That's mainly because of the cash balances that we're seeing and how many Americans have a, uh, a solid fixed rate mortgage at like ultra low rates, right? So we don't believe that. It's more, we're just more concerned about the overconsumption of spending. That's from a combination of hard goods and and services, right? Because of the post-COVID reopening. Um, our contention is that they are not getting, they're not, they're not negative enough, right? And even since the summer, you know, I kept, I kept shouting on Twitter. I'm like, these earnings just aren't coming down and it doesn't make any sense because they should be coming down and banks aren't moving them. Analysts aren't moving them and they're still staying the same. And it was only until like uh, entrance into Q3, end of Q3, you started seeing these banks bring them down, right? Like Bank of America dropped theirs down at the time was the most. It was down to 200 in earnings for S&P next year, which is, which is negative. It's negative growth, right? Um, uh, last week, RBC dropped it down even more, I mean, m marginally, but they said 199 in earnings. You got Goldman, I think, at like 220 to 25. Um, Morgan, I think, is around the same way. Um, but the, but they're so late to the game. It's like, come on, like this this should have already been done. Like you're, there's so much hopium in the market right now that I don't think they're really grasping the repercussions of what is actually going to be coming. Especially, I mean, you you look at it. These in, these inverted yield curves continue blowing out. Which, you know, if you if you know elementary you know, understanding of bonds, like that's not good. <laughs> you know, what's you know, what's expecting to happen. Um, so that's why like, we think we are in the camp of a mild recession, uh, but it's going to be on the, I guess, further spectrum of how bad it's going to be compared to what others think, what mainstream thinks. Right. And if you had to guess, where do you think trough, what, where's the trough in earnings in a in a predicted mild recession is that a q2 thing with april reported earnings or is it later is it you know does do we get it all done in q1 if you had to guess well that's the thing because like as you know this as well um the market's forward looking right so the market is not indicative of the economy vice versa so if you want to think about ahead i actually tweeted this the other day <laughs> that's like for the fifth time um there will be good deals after Q3, which Q3 is basically over with. Um, there will be great deals after Q4, which most will report uh, end of January, February, and then some will dip into March. Um, once you start getting hit with those, right, I think the market in anticipation will drop down. I think the market will also factor in the earnings themselves. And then come Q2, while the economy still keeps you know, chugging along uh, towards the downside, I think the market will probably somehow and this is a this is a bold, bold prediction here since they are forward looking 
would bottom out towards end of Q1, beginning Q3 on a, on a calendar basis, just because it's forward looking, right? There's going to be so much anticipation of what's happening that that should that might be the spot where it bottoms out unless something catastrophic happens. That's 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 what we think. Yeah, I mean, certainly if you, well. So the January earnings, you're going to get the benefit of some Christmas spending, right? And and so that 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 should be decent. And another one of the consensus views is that okay, you know, I, I love consensus because consensus was all right, man. Consumers are going to blow their wads on summer vacation spending, and then we're done. And lo and behold, spending hasn't collapsed yet, and now it's. The holidays are going to be the last hurrah for the consumer, and exactly. then we're done. And yep. and I, you know, given savings and and knowing that food prices, you know, for the most part are, haven't come down, certain things in other categories have come down. So I could certainly see, you know, decent holiday spending, but trend, but guidance is a little more soft. And that's exactly what we're at too, because. You know, it was with so many retailers having that inventory issue um, because, you know, they front loaded because of COVID, they got to ditch it. I mean, I wrote, I wrote a whole thread on this, actually. Um, actually, I put a whole post on, on our on our site as well, that the Black Friday sales were actually very misleading um, because you keep seeing headline after headline of record this, record that. You know, like we've had the most e-commerce sales this holiday season in all of history. And, um, you know, Shopify was having like 3.5 million sales like every minute or something. I forget exactly what the what the what the figure was. But then in reality, you really got to peel back that onion because if you look at nominal retail sales, like, yeah, sure, that went up. If you look at re -re real retail sales, uh, no, it was down. <laughs> and then if you look at, you know, the, the shift between how consumers were buying, right? So this is going online e-commerce. And as nice as that sounds, it's actually, in our opinion, pretty bad, right? Because you, you get more uh, of a hit to margin on e-commerce sales, right? Because of all the fulfillment costs, et cetera, than when, I guess, like when you and I would used to go to um, the physical retailers in the mornings, right? And go go get the door busters, right? You would get that like 55 inch back then plasma TV at Best Buy, but you'd get it for 30% off only if you showed up at the door, right? Um, and that helps retailers because they don't have to pay for that extra um you know, uh, OPEX to facilitate those orders. So it's like a catch 22 because you're like, yeah, things are up, but you're like, oh wait, but it actually costs more to actually handle that. Right. Um, and then I also made the, uh, made the notion that with so much inventory from these retailers, especially in electronics, heavy, heavy promotional discounting is needed to move that, to get things, to get things back to normal of, all right, Hey, prices kind of normalized. So when you're talking about that, you're talking about a hit to gross margin because they have to lower down the actual sale price. Right. And then if it's e-commerce related, you're getting hit again because they have to, they have to you know, pay out for shipping. Then you have to also incur the risk of the returns. And the returns alone you know, with shipping it can, eat, can really eat into margins as well. So you're kind of getting hit uh, three times there just from an e-commerce sale in this given environment. And that's why we think consumers who have cash probably loaded up on a ton of goods, aka myself, um, because they were cheap. Like you're probably not going to get a deal like this for you know a while, right? Um, but then after that, you know, like what else do you need, right? Like I bought all my electronics. I don't need. I don't need anything else. I bought a lot of clothing. I know you and I just just spoke about that with Lululemon. I don't need any more Lululemon. I got too. I have too much stuff right now. Um, so that's why we were like, all right, this is it. This is the last one. This is the last hurrah. And 
you know what they're gonna it's gonna be drying up quick um and that'll, that'll reflect in the uh hopefully in earnings guidance yeah i mean and i i did a blog a couple of weeks ago that that kind of summarized this michael semblis jp morgan piece where he showed i think eight different periods of recession and he charted where markets went where gdp payrolls and actual earnings went and you know with the exception of 2000 the the moral of the story was you know the market bottomed somewhere between 3 to 6 months on average before you know the payrolls gdp and earnings kind of trio and so you know if you look and say well if if the trough in earnings let's let's even get conservative a, a little more aggressive let's say that the trough in earnings is the April to May period of 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 earnings season. Sure. If you back that three to six months, you're somewhere in the Q1 or already having to see the bottom in equity markets. So you know it, it we're we're almost running out of time, so to speak, for this you know Mike Wilson three thousand case unless other things happen. That's there you know. We, we've already seen when things happen and the the algorithms start going, anything can happen. Like buyers go on strike, it becomes a one-sided market. It, it's just, it goes straight down or straight up, whatever the case is. But, you know, you're, you're almost running out of time if the narrative is that the market bottoms before the the fundamentals do, as yeah, we said, yeah. middle Which of December. Right, which is exactly why we're thinking like when the, when the actually news hits, right? You have the buildup of the anticipation, and then you also have the the event itself, right? Earnings, the earnings day, and that's why we think all right, yeah, end of Q one, Q two, you know, when every when everybody starts reporting, um, uh, that should be hopefully unless again unless Russia decides to launch some tactical nukes or some new offensive somewhere, I don't know. Um, yeah, then that it that it hopefully it should be around that time. I don't know. Again, I don't know how bad, um, but that's kind of where that's kind of where we're at, um, at least for what's happening currently. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk privates. I, I and I'm going to use I I could do this for a lot of stocks, but in order to make my case for privates just versus publics, and I, I've long thought this as a guy who's been mostly involved in publics, I mean, look at, look at Facebook, look at Meta. We went from a trillion in market cap, probably too high to 306 billion in market cap today. Are you going to tell me you being everyone, are you going to tell me the business value, the true value of the business has somehow vacillated between a trillion and 300 billion <laughs> Like I'm sorry, I I will I, I just don't buy it, right? The the there's a reason that the smartest investors in the world have allocated a vast majority of their portfolios to privates, illiquids, rather than public market securities. It's a hell of a lot cheaper to buy public securities these days. So they they are taking illiquids for a lot of reasons, and they because of values, because of performance, because of stability of returns, smoother ride along the way, all of those things. And and I with algorithms and everything, I just think public markets are becoming even worse. But let's talk about the value of investing in privates and what, what kind of drove a decision and what, where you decided to go there and why and all that kind of stuff. Because I, I love me some privates. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. Um, it's, I think a portion of that is more so of just like, all right, hey, I've kind of lost faith in, faith in this narrative. Let me just, let me just cut my losses and, you know, move my money out, which, you know, a lot of people did with Meta and a lot of, a lot of other companies. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, like, again, after this, after the first half of this year where we got absolutely crushed just because we just missed time things, um, we're like cash flow. <laughs> I was like, cash flow is, is, I think I don't think I've focused so much on cash flow more in my entire life than this year, um, because it's just so important, um, especially when you're talking about, you know, long not only longevity of your company, but then also being able to weather storms like this, which, as we've seen, <laughs> there were a ton of companies that were not prepared to do that. Um, so then you also you're looking at it that way. Right. But then you also look at it in the sense of like, all right, if I'm just if I'm supposed to generate a return that you, you, you want to put air quotes around it, that's stable. Right. You know, there's there's a number of businesses and sectors that you can go into that can create that. Um, and I know on our, on our last podcast um, episode, um, I spoke to you about the pet industry. Love it. You have dogs. I have a dog. You know, tons of other people have dogs. Um, and I, I even told you, I will go on rice and beans before I have to downgrade my dog's lifestyle. <laughs> um, so it's like, if you, if you talk about, you know, millions of Americans, American households actually that own animals, I, they're more or less aligned on that. You know, obviously I have people who aren't. So when we looked at things, we wanted to see like, all right, well, what could generate us a ton of cash that is recession resilient um, and that you actually have not only pricing power, but you have the ability to upsell. Um, so we actually entered into, it's, it's the first one. So we dipped our toes into um, uh, pet grooming, actually pet grooming and bathing. And that's a, that's a service. So high margin, right? We don't have to rely on inventory and products, maybe just to you know, facilitate said service. Um, but the upkeep is necessary, right? So we get consistent cash flow on a regular basis because you have to go take your dog in to get bathed, or you have to take them in to get their nails, uh, nails clipped, um, ears clean, um, groomed, you know. And so that's, that's a recurring that's a recurring basis that it's just not, you know, like a membership oriented service. Um, so that's kind of why we dipped your toes in, and you know, we we published in our um, in our post about it when we when we announced it, like, hey these returns are so good. Like if we're looking, I think the first year we're expected to have like over 50% cash on cash. Um, and then through expansionary efforts, we can get that up to triple digits by next year. Uh, at the end, after the first year, after the full school year, sorry. Um, just because of just how good of a deal we came across. Um, and it's like, all right, well, I can pull my hair out investing in the stock market, trying to get anything above 10%. Or I can, you know, go private, put in a decent amount of more work, right, hands on, um, but I get rewarded for that risk, right, and the hard work. So that's kind of what we thought about. Um, kind of so many, so many places to go there. So, <laughs> from a so did was this an early stage investment, or was this a business that's been around for a while? I don't know if you can talk about the actual business or just talk about it loosely. In you know, from its specs perspective, yeah, no, we can talk about it loosely. So the owner, the owner was in business for seven years. They they built it. They actually took it from somebody else, but they basically rebranded it and took it, you know, their own path. Um, they owned the business for about seven years. Built up a great list of clientele, loyal clientele. You know, kind of became, um, you know, a name within that you know area, demographic area. Um, so there's a lot of things that kept checking the box when we do our, when we were doing our due diligence. Um, 
And it wasn't like anything wrong with it, right? Because at a point we're like, this deal is almost too good to be true. How is nobody else taking it? Um, but it was just a matter of nobody just wanted to dig in enough. Um, and luckily we did. The owner was just looking to, you know, just get out of the business. You know, they wanted to move down south. They were tired because like we bought it in New York. They wanted to move down south. They were tired of the winter time. Um, but uh the staff was already there and trained. Uh, everything was already set up, system set up, again, clientele. So there were just so many things that we felt comfortable taking on that risk because the the, the risk of the downside was just completely like so far less than what the upside could be. And that's, that's, that's partially why we jumped on it. Got it. By the way, pencils down. The the casino has now closed. I, know, I just saw that. <laughs> you can you can. I wanted to leave that bell on just for fun, but yes, the casino is closed for the moment. In fifteen minutes, the after hours casino, which is even more illiquid, yeah. will begin. So the complete degenerate traders will be playing in that market. <laughs> yeah, we'll start seeing some uh, some pretty heavy movements in a few minutes. That's right. So I, I maybe I missed it. What's the name of the business, or did you not say? Oh no, we didn't say because we we're trying to we're trying to keep okay. it very cool. like hey you know not change of ownership just yet, um, but we we have the we have the vision of making an announcement hopefully in the near future um, because we're, we're we're trying to make sure that we um, you know not like scare our customer base since you know like obviously you know customers are kind of irrational, um, but uh, make sure that we have um, maybe we just do it in the right way. And this is a, is this a one store uh, operation or is they have multiple stores and it sounds like it's, is it all in New York or the tri-state yeah. area? Yeah, it's one store, but they've, they've, they've become so big. It's like, if you think about, if you really wanted to, you could chop it up and just like kind of separated it up. But the thing is like, she just, she's, the owner did such a good job of scaling it over the last seven years. Um, so that like that one, that one location just does does so much that you would have thought it was multiple stores. Uh, is it a kind of a super center place or is it very, very focused on the grooming and it's, you know, in general, it's a fairly small store that just does a lot of turnover. Yeah, I know mean, it's, it's actually, it's not a super center. It's relatively small, but the thing is that she just got productivity and like operational efficiency down to a science um, uh, while not sacrificing on, you know, like care and expertise and, um, you know, the, the quality of, of what's being done. So it was, that's why it was, that's what's very impressive. So as an, as an investor in a business like that, did you, are you buying the whole business? Sounds like yeah, they that wanna... was, yeah, it was a buyout. Yeah. Okay. So is your goal then to just run that business or is your goal to use that business as the proof of concept, potentially maybe go out and raise more capital, expand around the country and now that you have this this template that that where you know what works, yeah, exactly. That's a, great, that's a great question. So we are trying to use it as a proof of concept um, because uh, the way we see it, the previous owner took it from, well, I guess she took it from one to like three, right? Like her her operational improvements and you know making sure that everything was done properly, you know, got it got it from one to three. We're looking to see like, all right, based on what we can do. Can we take it from three to seven? And then if we can prove that, then yeah, let's see if we can take it from seven to 20 to a hundred, you know what I'm saying? So we're, we're trying to basically use this as a stepping stone in order to, to make sure that it works and then we can replicate it. Um, and we feel very confident about that because of the fact that um, there's, 
there's because of the, the risk profile, there's enough comfortability and wiggle room to try things and experiment on things um, where we won't have to, you know, be worried about any type of downside outcome with those. Okay. Um, I've, t I have a, as you probably know, I have a 105 pound wolf as a dog <laughs> and, and I've tried to take this nut job to the, uh, the bathhouse and it is the most painful thing for all concerned. This dog just gets everybody wet and freaks out and <laughs> it's just insane. Um, so I, I mean, listen, I, I love the, I love the, I didn't realize this was a full buyout where you have a yeah. model that's really operationally efficient in a really important category. And now you have the ability to then expand that and really monetize it. So it's, you know, this is a, this is almost like a venture capital type of potential upside, I would think. Right. Yeah. You know, like yes and no, because it's all, I want to say venture capital upside. I almost say it's, it's a nice, early stage private equity upside. When I say that is because like you probably heard about it too, since you know UCBX and everything, that you know, if you can get a private equity fund that like notices a brand that maybe has let's call it two, three locations, but they know that has the potential to get to like 20 or 30 or even 50, right? You know, they'll make that initial investment to, you know, have the right to be able to capitalize that on a later time. So we're like, yeah, you know what? Like this, we think this works. We'll just go ahead and just take over the whole thing, um, and then we will um, we'll handle we'll, we'll take it over from there, right? Um, because we think we we can get it uh, to a point, and we'd rather own it now than own it, you know, a couple of years from now and pay more, right? So we'll, we'll put in the work, um, and that's kind of where our, where our head was at. Um, but it's just it's just really interesting because I think anybody that listens to to this podcast should know that hey, there's not money is. Money can be made outside the stock market in lucrative terms. You just have to figure out what you're good at and where you want to spend your time. Also, because yeah. you and I both are applied to this, uh, Lululemon just reported it's down 12%. Well, yeah, the options market was projecting, I think, 9%. And what I find funny about this, just going back to the, the illiquidity and the algorithms, the literal same time that the news breaks, the stock is down 12%. Humans do not have time to look at any number and act unless you have one person going next to the next person and just looking for one to three data points and then telling the guy next to you to trade it in one direction or the other. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's absurd how illiquid markets are, but I don't care. Uh, I, that's fine. Yeah, and, that's, and, we're, and we're fine with Lulu. that. Yeah, um, yeah, because like, because obviously we have the exposure to the public side now, or we've always had this exposure to the public side. Now we have exposure to the to the private side, but you know when you combine the two, it's like we're 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 dealing with less volatility overall because of the fact that now we have exposure to the illiquid side that's stable, um, and then we can you know we can still move money around in publics, um, which, and I, I didn't mention this earlier, I, I probably should have just for anybody who's listening in, um. At the end of November, uh, Cedar Grove Capital, we took Cedar Grove Capital. Our book is, is net short. We are net short retail. Actually, the whole thing is net short, but we're predominantly short retail. Um, and, uh, you know, going into earnings right now, it's especially with Lululemon, it's panning out. Um, but that, that just goes to show, like, I obviously we haven't looked through it yet, but um, the volatility that you're seeing in these movements is uh, – 
quite the headbanger when, you know, I can, I can flip the, flip the page to our private investment now. And I'm like, okay, we're good. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, I'm, I, I, I had five conversations with advisors today and, and my, after all the things that we talked about publics and some of the privates, because uh, we were talking about B Reed and Blackstone. And I, and I was like, man, if I were you in your shoes dealing with a thousand clients in your book and the emotions that happen because of headlines, I would have even more. I would literally look at the best institutions and I would clone a lot of their asset allocation decisions. They have much more knowledge, much more staff to be able to do things than you trying to pick one fund or one ETF or one stock over another. Give these people zero angst and let them go about their lives. I'm just amazed. So uh, yeah, yeah. now with uh, you from a net short perspective, let's talk about that. Now, are, are you, do you do that with individuals or do you just take it like a, an XRT or a, you know, one of the ETFs and kind of, just get it, make it easy? Or how do you guys do that? No, yeah, we, we, we don't make it easy. Um, because we, we just don't think, because like we could, right, we could, take, we could just short XRT, we could, we could just generally just short spy, right, if we wanted to. Um, but we think that doing so would be doing a disservice to the people who allow us to manage money. Um, because like, they could do that, right. Um, so we see more juice to squeeze in individual names. And um, that's why we've, we've individually picked names um, that we've shorted, right? Because we feel like, like you know, for instance, I mean, we, we posted about it the other day because um, we, do, we do interim releases, um, but we were, we were net short. And we named, I think, five, six companies that we were short. Um, believe it or not, Lulu was one of them. Um, so we were, we, were, we were short Lulu going into this print. We were short RH going into this print. We were short Sweet Green. <laughs> we were short Peloton, um, and we were short um, uh, Rover, the, the the dog walking company or dog boarding company, I should say. Um, and it's all proven out so far. And it, it was a matter of, especially in, the, in terms of Lulu, which you know, you have a company that's beat raise three times this year. Um, phenomenal, right? It's it's gone from I think it hit a low of like two fifty, I think. Um, shot up to like 380 just like a couple of days ago, actually. So you're talking about like if you take if you take that bottom, I mean, you did, you did well, right? Um, but it's come to a point where like, all right, well, if it's if it's continued to do well, but we have the inclination that the consumer's going to slow down, and this is a primo product, um, there's no way they can hold that. Like that just some somebody out there would have to just keep foregoing, I don't know, food at that point to afford $120 leggings to keep that to keep that momentum going. So we thought the momentum was going to slide, um, uh, but the brand's still good. And obviously it panned out just now. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's, what's been happening with us. I mean, listen, it's love the brand. That and the Apple store is usually the one that has the most persistent traffic for sure in retail. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but it's price. Listen, it's price for perfection. Why I, I thought it was odd that management would even be so bold as to raise guidance in this environment. There's nobody expecting you to. Why would you? It it made no sense to me to be able to do that. I know I haven't read read through the report. I don't know if they're adding to the buyback, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I think it's trading something like 45 times, 40 times earnings. So 
you yeah, know, yep. it's a premium business with great margins. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll ease up a little bit on the margins until I see the report. I don't know. Um, but man, it's amazing well, how the options market just prices what it ends up doing. <laughs> oh yeah. But I mean, the, the put call ratio, not just for Lulu, I'm talking about, and I'm talking about broadly, broad market speaking was, it was like the highest I think ever. Right. I think it was at like one, one, four, six or something like that. It was something, it was something absurdly high for, for the put call ratio. Um, but that's, that's the, but that's the thing though, because in our announcement, we basically said, Hey, we're saying this in September, we can be, we can just be flat out wrong on this, right? The consumer holds up, their cash balances are fine. They're like, you know what? Our, our wage growth is still going. We can, we're chugging along, no issues. We could be early, meaning that's not going to happen by the end of this year. It could happen, you know, maybe uh, just for argument's sake at the end of Q2 of next year, right? Like, so we could be off on timing um, or we could just be off because of a combination of both of those, right? Um, and so we made, we made that, announcement and we 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 just didn't want to be like everybody else who was like you know what no now's the bottom right no wait oh no no now's the bottom uh because we're not trying to we're, we're not trying to stay in if we don't have to stay in right which is we were we actually held zero positions for the for the rest of the month of september and of october we just sat there and just because we everything was so inflation uh inflation print heavy like, I don't know how to call that. I, I, I do not have confidence in calling that right now. So I sat it out. And then when things started rallying off of what I believe were not, were not great numbers, um, uh, cause people were still, people were still cheering seven and a half percent or 7.7% .7 of, uh, of CPI. I'm like, all right, well, that's not, that's not good still. I don't know why you're praising that. Um, that's when we started going that short. Cause like, all right, this is ridiculous. The consumer is going to keep falling apart. Um, and, um, uh, that's why we that's why we took those measures but the, but the, i keep seeing everybody else trying to quote unquote price things in you know i'm a long-term investor and i'm like okay that's you that's not me um i need to worry about getting returns now not four years from now you know right that's it's always so hard because the world is so short-term you know now 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 focused everything's you know i got it i got it that's why tiktok thrives right these short hits of dopamine that i constantly need over time. And we want, you know, we want returns every single minute of every single day. I, I don't think it's a positive development because it makes people do things that they might not otherwise do because they extrapolate short-term moves and right. they just step aside. And, you know, stepping aside is always the easiest part. You know, raising cash is easy. It makes you feel good. You mm -hmm. pat yourself on the back because, you know, you know, some downside momentum continues and you look smart. The problem is you never get back in. It's very hard to get back in because the best times to get back in are when it really feels terrible. I right. mean, you literally got to, I remember I used to trade for a living. I traded from what about 04 through 2010, early 2011. And I mean, I went through 08, 09 and, and sometimes I would literally be like, this is so dreadful but I know this is a great company and I would literally just close my eyes and push the buy button because I didn't, you look at it and you look at the chart and you think, Oh my God, the catch the falling knife thing is, is pure play. But you know, at some point in the next, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know two to four months, there is going to be a, a moment where you're not going to want to buy, not you personally, but just in general, people right. are going to are not want to buy and it's going to be the best time to buy. And, and exactly. Yeah. 
I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think um, to piggyback off of what you just said as well, I think there are a lot of investors out there and it's mainly, it's mainly retail um, that, you know, they, they, I don't think they know what pain is. I think they think they know what pain is. Um, But we're talking like beat your face into the ground. Like I need to rethink all my life decisions type of pain because I don't know what's going to be happening tomorrow because I made such bad decisions type of pain. Um, And I think they think they were there and that's why they're like, this is capitulation. Now's the time to get in. And it's like, reality is like, no, (laughs) Um, because uh, you know, there's still a combination of things, right. Where it's like, all right, well, there's a technical side of the market. There's a fundamental side of the market. There's, you know, a, a bunch of algorithm uh, trading on headlines of, you know, Putin using this word in it, right? Um, that they actually really don't know what capitulation means. And I think they were so confident in in, in thinking that they did that now, you know, we're, we're potentially going on a third leg lower, right? Um, and, or no, it's third leg, no, fourth leg, fourth, fourth, no, yeah. I think. Um, and that's when, they'll, that's when they'll know. And like you said, they'll be too scared to get back in because of that. And they'll miss out on another opportunity, just like people were too scared to buy the banks in, in 09. Um, you know, just like in 2018, when, you know, when things were, were hitting the fan on the supply side, people were like panicking. Um, and there's going to be a lot of that. And then in hindsight, they're going to like, you know, beat themselves up about it. Yeah. Patience sure. is key. Well, I mean, Lulu hit 3.30 at the low. It's at 3.47. RH went down and now it's up last I checked. It looks like they made an acquisition of an upholstery company or something. I'll have to dig into that one uh, (laughs) later. I I don't know, man. Just stick to the buyout. (laughs) Stick to the buyback. If (laughs) Gary, I don't know. You're in New York. Have you been to, have you taken a tour or anything to that, uh, you know, that private hotel that, I mean, I'm sure that it is one sexy place, and and I'm I'm hopeful that they are using that as a bit of a proof of concept to be able to to do more of that, whether it's strictly funded by them or in conjunction with uh, a hotel brand where they license what they're doing. I don't really know, but but have you even visited? You know that or the restaurant at the meatpacking district, everything I, I've heard oh, is pretty the meat, sexy. The meatpacking one, I'm not going to lie to you. The meatpacking one is like nice. It is, yeah. you walk in there and you're like, wow, I want to spend this level of money. I can't, but I want to spend this level of money, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's been around for a while. That, one, that one's, I want to say, it's not going to say old, but it's not new. Um, that was their big project, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? If you speak to anybody that's actually been there um, in New York, I they'll agree with me. Like you just walk in there. It's, it's just, it is a different atmosphere and people, people buy, right. I've been to, I've been to the one in, in me packing, but then I've also been to the one in uh, Chicago, which was great. Um, and it's, it's, you understand why Gary was doing that. It, it, it makes sense. As soon as you step foot in that place. Um, I, and you and I talked about that as well. I've always considered like the, <laughs> the, the boats and the planes and the and the hotels to be just uh hopefully not as capital intensive as um you know like uh mark zuckerberg's bet on the metaverse but they're for yeah, they're, gary they're, they're, they're yeah, for yeah. gary's convenience they're, they're they're very hopefully they don't they don't become expensive call options right yeah. um and if they don't become expensive call options i'm fine with that 
if he wants to experiment, yeah, sure. Like what company trying to move the needle even more hasn't experimented. But the second that like things start getting kind of a little out of control, then I'm going to take a step back and be like, all right, dude, I don't, I really don't know if this is the way to go about it, you know? Yeah. Under the guise of a business opportunity, Gary is using corporate funds to, uh, to, to, to fund his lavish lifestyle chasing the young ladies. I'll yeah, say I mean, it. It's not, like it, it's not <laughs> like it doesn't have money. It's not like it doesn't have money. I think he's no. just, uh, I don't know what he's doing. But why pay for a plane when the corporation can pay for it? Why pay for a hotel when you can have access to it? And it's, it, by the way, that is also his personal residence when he's in New York, if memory serves me as in the press release. Oh, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah, that is that's an interesting one. Okay, um, corporate. I I see Carl Icahn rolling over right now, just in with with <laughs> you know um, activist. Well, listen, we only have a couple minutes. Are you still big on on the cannabis sector? Is anything changed there? What are your thoughts? It's clearly we seem closer to lots of positive news between banking, and that has to be linked with going national. You wouldn't even deal with banking, I wouldn't think, unless there was some some push from a nationalization, you know, getting it legal everywhere. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's the interesting part, right? Because I know we spoke about it on July when things were at 52 week lows, I think just around that time, at least for the, for the U S um, U S market. And then if you look recently, because it was, it's been a wild ride these last two weeks. So if you've been, if anyone's been paying attention to cannabis the last two weeks, you, you know what I'm talking about. There were a lot of policy um, rumors I'll put rumors in it because um, while they were being proposed in bills, there were rumors that it would get passed. And that that combined with Biden earlier saying like, hey, I want the DEA to you know, look at the schedule, schedulization of uh, marijuana, just sent this thing to the moon. Right. And I hate using that expression, but it, I mean, you saw things jump in a day, 40 percent. Right. And then the, in the coming weeks after that. They went up an additional um, like 25 to 30 percent, depending on who you're looking at. And uh, two days ago, so it was at uh, Tuesday, I think it's Monday or Tuesday. I forget. I get so much stuff on my mind. Um, it came down the pipeline. Hey, you know, the banking, the banking part of the of the cannabis um, uh, initiative is not going to be included in the defense bill. Sent things just, almost like a rocket hitting the earth. Um, uh Things were down 10, 12% a day. Yesterday, again, 10, 12% a day. Today, I'm looking at it again, 10, 12% in a day because so much was riding on that policy change, right. which was warranted. I'm going to deny because it's the second that turns on, like I told you last time, that's a switch. The second it turns on, it, it's it's game changing. But so many people bet on that, right? They wanted to, they wanted to front run it. And then once it didn't happen, there was no there, there was now no reason to be in it anymore. Until, you know, the next bill comes along, which always does over the last three years, that'll send it going back up again. It's, it's, it's almost, you're almost like riding a roller coaster at this point, because the one thing that's being controlled right now is just policy. And that got boosted and shot down in a matter of two weeks. Right. But still still positive overall on the trends, even though they're slower because politicians are involved. Oh, yeah. You still got to look at the underlying businesses. I mean, like they're still doing well. The fundamentals are there. It's like if you were to do if you were to value them at the way cannabis companies are being valued right now, I feel comfortable with it. I don't feel comfortable about the price, but I feel comfortable about the business. And then if you look at it and then if you want to do some like fancy math, like pro forma wise, if it, if it were to have that switch turned on, 
you know, your eyes should be like shooting with like stars in them because of how impressive it would look. It's just a matter of what you want to pay. And, you know, when, when something as stupid as policy is literally holding up a train here, you just have to find where you're comfortable with it because the underlying fundamentals, the foundation, the roots have not changed in a negative way. Um, it's just that people, when you're talking about, uh, um, you know, generating a, a sizable IRR, you get to, you have to figure out like when that's actually going to happen. Right. You know, cause you don't want to like just park your money and have it be dead for like another year or two because it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and you just got to be understanding of how comfortable you are with parking it. Um, I imagine that if things continue the way they are, I'll probably park some in the near future, uh, knowing full well that that is going to be the case. But under underlying trends, nah, still positive. More people are smoking. The um, the, the rate of acceptance across states is increasing. I think it's at a record high now. It's just a matter of like, hey, government, get get your uh, get your butt up and start moving things because we're all about it. So yeah. Well, I guess that just means that politicians haven't figured out a way to get their pockets lined yet to to pass things. Did I just say that out loud? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I sometimes I don't have a filter and I and I shouldn't say things that are in my little head. <laughs> but it's so it's so interesting. I mean, because like I mean, you're not wrong, but because you have one side of the political party that's like, hey, let's make it legal so that we can tax it. It'll be at a lower rate. But then you have the other side that's like, no, we want to tax it, but we want to tax it. Um, at a much higher rate. So you have you have two opposing sides here that are more or less aligned of passing it. It's just that with what they want to do with it, right? right. Um, and it's it's incredibly stupid because as much as we all complain that the government puts their hands in our pockets way too much, um, the way that them postponing this just allows for the black market sales to continue on. So they're actually losing out even more because they're allowing that to happen. They're not. They're not. Um, taking on tax revenue um, and they're just arguing uh, uh, for all these nuances of it and it sucks because you know you have the states that have passed it recently right in New Jersey New York but they haven't handed out licenses so you have farmers who are like yes it's finally passed we can finally sell our flour at mass scale they start growing it a, over a year later, they still haven't handed out any licenses. And now these farmers are like, I'm stuck with tons of weed that I am not legally allowed to sell because our politicians have are sitting on their hands and dragging this along. So now I'm suffering. It's really just a whole catastrophic domino effect. And it's 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 mind numbing to see because it's so easy to fix. They just aren't doing it. You know, I hate to say this, you know, th this week, I write a blog every week about some topic I just think is interesting at the time. This week's was reminding people about the the wealth transfer that's that's just begun. Mm, uh, yeah. 40 plus trillion, whatever the numbers, you get different numbers from different places. But, you know, older people, that, that's where all the money is in this in this country. And generally speaking, and yep. as that money they they gift it on an annual basis to their kids but and then obviously when one spouse dies if they're married then the other spouse gets it and then they, she, they gift more and then ultimately that wealth transfer from a voting perspective we're we're on borrowed time as far yeah. as not having this stuff legal because my generation gen x millennials are all generally positive to having this stuff be available. And mm -hmm. so where the voter masses go, 
the politicians will go, but they still have the 70 plus generation, many of which who still look at weed and think it's, you yep. know, that's taboo and you shouldn't be doing it. So as more of those people die off, the voter, the voter pool just changes dramatically to oh, the yeah. point where they can't ignore the demand. And that's, it's, it's morbid to say, but like, my, those are my thoughts. Exactly. The more of these boomers, um, you know, p p pass on to, to greener pastures, you know, whatever your religion may be. Um, <laughs> that's why the, that's why the survey results keep going up because over time, more and more people are like, it's actually not bad. Like we're cool with it. Right. Yeah. And it's annoying because there's been a thing saying going around, like all 50 States might pass weed on a medical level basis, like a medicinal level basis before federal policy becomes a real thing, which is pathetic. It is, which means that, um, it's i don't know how to i don't know how to play this because most of it will be fake uh glaucoma but <laughs> everybody will be going boy it's amazing i showed up with glaucoma <laughs> oh yeah i got i got glaucoma <laughs> oh man well uh let, let's let's have a little fun with the end part here it's december 8th into the end of the year i don't know where the where the market closed today uh no we're up we're generally up yeah the S&P closed 396.64. So are we higher than that by the end of the year or are we lower than that by the end of the year? I don't know. Everybody keeps talking about the Santa Claus rally. And honestly, up until the end of next week, or sorry, up until the end of last week, we had what, 11% run up in the S&P. If you had a Santa Claus rally of like another 5%, that seems a little too generous. So that's why I'm like, all right, well, we're having a pullback now for obvious reasons. Um end of the year you know what let's see i think i think we'll probably be nah nah i'm gonna say i'm gonna say we're, I'm gonna, say we're gonna be less we're gonna be lower all right i i i will not make said uh predictions because <laughs> i literally can't tell you what has because sentiment is so dreadful at this oh, i'll point. be wrong i'll probably be wrong <laughs> might as well just put it out there well, I tweeted the other day, like, okay, so we're so if we go down three percent, and then we have a Santa Claus rally, and everyone, and you get back to break even, you go nowhere. So was the Santa rally worth even talking about? I don't know. Oh, probably yeah. not. It's like, there's, there's, there's no juice. To, there's really like, what juice are you squeezing at at that point? It's like, like the risk you're taking on for an additional like hundred basis points, like, no thanks. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I, I suspect once we get Jerome and his garbage press releases out of the way. And there's no more earnings. We we have less, you know, inflation data. I get maybe the inflation data. The last one of the year is is next week on the 13th. You know, that could create a little bit of an air pocket of just no no news, no Fed, no no CPI, no earnings. We'll see. So any it's anybody's guess. They need to stop talking. Honestly, like all the like obviously Jerome Powell needs to talk, but everybody, every other Fed official just needs to like just stop talking. And if they're gonna they talk, talk maybe much. they should get in the same room and have a and have a thesis. But again, I yeah. think I honestly think these guys want to keep everybody on their heels. They want absolutely no positivity, which makes people's mm -hmm. actions change, and they just want everybody cool in their jets. Well, but the funny thing know, is, you can gate everybody off. For, yeah. a, for a period of time, but but you the pandemic showed you, you can't gate us off forever. So I don't care if inflation comes down and you break your arm patting yourself on the back. Once you say, I'm gonna just sit tight for a while, that's gonna make people feel better on a rate of change basis. And then they're gonna have the same problem again. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's a combination of like, they're trying to instill fear 
in the wrong way um, because like only data can really do that. And their opinions, I feel like just trying to get their like more of their name in the paper. Like honestly, because at this point they keep saying the same thing, <laughs> but they just keep saying it so often. It's like, just stop, just shut up, stop talking. <laughs> the arrogance of these people trying to smooth the business cycle, just stop. We did yeah. just fine up until 2007. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it is like seeing their name in the headlines. Uh, well, listen, Paul, always a good time. Lo love going back and forth on Twitter and stuff too. Love your insights. The what's the, what's the, the sub stack? How do people get access to the sub stack stuff that you do? Yeah, that's just, so we, um, because we, we had two different sectors and I wanted it to be like, not as, you know, uh, not professional. So, our Substack is literally just the cedargrovecm.com. Um, it'll take you straight there. Um, uh, that's how you can reach us. It's, it's in our bio on Twitter. Um, but that's that's where we'll post all of our, or what quote unquote, our notebook. Um, and people can get access there. Awesome. Well, you got any big plans for uh, for the holiday? You going anywhere? You sit tight? Uh, you know, I think I'm sitting tight. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where family's going to be just yet. I think they're trying to figure it out too. Um, but hopefully... Somewhere um, and not looking at my screen. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to be in New York uh, in February, so I'll keep you posted. Would love to have a have a beer with you live. That'd oh, be yeah, fun. absolutely. Maybe absolutely. we'll go check yeah. out the RH, uh, the meatpacking district, uh, that restaurant up there, too. Just, yeah, just even go there. Yeah, I mean, little due diligence trip. Yeah, 100% <laughs> write it off. <laughs> there you go. All right, buddy. Good to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the dynamic brand section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the dynamic brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.